There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Most of the time, you don't leave jobs, you don't leave careers, you leave people and you leave managers. How many times have you worked with someone and you just hated it and they were really a crappy leader? Well, today we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to answer a heap of your questions. For those who are in a leadership role or aspiring to be a leader, but also if you are being led and you are a team member, I want you to listen because you might be able to learn how to spot a good leader or how to be led well. My guest today on this episode of My Millennial Money is Shell Johnson from the My Millennial Career Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Shell. Hey, Glennie. Now, we can't do today's episode without Global X. Thanks to Global X for supporting our Thursday show. Global X brings the world of innovation to investors with beyond ordinary tech ETFs. From AI to robotics, Global X's range of exchange traded funds allows you to capture the companies shaping the future. Explore the possibilities at globalxetfs.com.au. AFSL 466778. Investing involves risks and returns are not guaranteed. Refer to the relevant PDS and TMD. Radio Shell, let's get into this leadership discussion. My name's Glenn James and this is My Millennial Money. Shell, you work a lot with leaders in your business at Boldside. Uh, you've worked with our team. You go into a variety of different businesses and give them a bit of a pulse check and people pay you for advice. It's weird, right? <laughs> it is weird. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I might have to get some of that delicious money. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I opened with this whole, you know, people leave people. They don't necessarily leave jobs. Like, do you have any opening statements before we get into these questions about leadership? Yes, let's do a state of the union. <laughs> I think the big thing, you know how the last few years, or probably the last five years at work, Glenn, there's been this big thing on perks, like ping pong tables and pizza parties and like all the perks, but really... I've got a t-shirt with the company logo and we wear that to work. <laughs> yeah, we're like really big on all the benefits, but the most underrated undervalued benefit, in my opinion, is good leaders. Mm. Like how much of our retention challenges at work, how many people have quit? Put your hand up if you're walking around now, just put your hand up if you've quit because of a bad boss. Like so many people leave their jobs because of a bad boss. And I think this is the big challenge I see in my business. There isn't enough emphasis on leadership being the main driver people stay in organisations. So if we can become great leaders or we can work for great bosses, we have a much better experience at work. Yeah, I follow you on LinkedIn, obviously. And everyone, jump on LinkedIn and follow Shell Johnson. And I hate it. Um, (laughs) Because every time you post about leadership, I'm just like, I'm such a pathetic loser of a leader. I can't do it. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm so glad that my posts make you feel that good about yourself. Yeah. That's a really good sell. So, yeah, so, yeah, so go take follow take that me. for what you will. So <laughs> we're going to talk about leadership. Let's start with the first question. Here's one from Dana. Best ways that I can practically develop my leadership skills? There are so many ways you can practice leadership. You don't have to be in a leadership role. So if anyone listening right now, one of your career goals is that you want to become a manager in the next few years, start practicing now, like Dana has asked. So practically, that looks like putting yourself out of your comfort zone. And it might be that you need to put your hand up to run the next team meeting that's coming up. You need to run a workshop with your team around, let's look at lessons learned and debrief a particular project that didn't go that well. And so you might 
start putting yourself into these situations that leaders typically operate in and come up with ways that you can influence team members. Because essentially leadership at its core, I think it's John Maxwell said, leadership is influence. So it's not about a position title. You don't have to have team leader in your title to be in leadership. You simply have to influence people. But a lot of people don't know how we do that. Like how do you actually influence people to get them to change their behaviour or do what you want them to do? And I think like within that, there are two kind of styles that I've seen with leadership and worked under. It's that bums on seats, nine to five, I'm the leader, you do what I say. And then there's this aspirational, we're going somewhere, I want you to come with me style. And I've always tried to lean on that one. One of the things I work with leaders on, Glenn, is how do you move from command and control to coach and guide? Mm. So how do you become a coach and guide, which for a lot of us who are control freaks, like, are you a control freak? Yeah, but I'm recovering for sure. (laughs) I'm recovering too. I think we're both in the same recovering control freak camp. But if you're a control freak or you have really high responsibility, one of the challenges is letting that go. And if you want to lead people, you have to let go of the control and allow other people to do the work. The best way you do that is by becoming a coach and guide. So for Dana, one of the things I want you to start doing is read stacks of books on coaching. Michael Bungay-Stania's book, The Coaching Habit, is amazing. He asks some great questions that you can use in your day-to-day job with any team member. One of the best ones he asks is, what is the real challenge for you? So when you get into tough conversations with team members or when you're, as a group, you're trying to deal with a problem at work, start asking those questions. And good coaching questions set you up. They make you stand out. And they also make people think, oh, this person really wants to hear me. They want to hear my ideas. They want to hear my solutions. And the more you do that, the more you position yourself as a key leader and influencer in the team. Yeah. And I reckon like for Dana, one practical thing that you could try in your team to try and develop some skills, like what about, we'll just assume that you're in a desk-based type role or an office environment and probably doesn't have to be. Might You might be a nurse and you find a new way of doing something. Hey, I've pull this catheter out a new way. No, no, like, but in the office, maybe you can like send a, an email or a message to Teams or a Slack to your team and say, hey, everyone, I found out a really cool way to do this task. Um, if you want me to show you what I've done, happy to swing by your desk. So just doing some real soft things like that. And that is showing leadership. I've found a new way to do something. I'm going to invite people to come on this journey with me. Yeah, that's such a good example of, You have to think about the collective team rather than just thinking about yourself. One of the big challenges I see most leaders make when they step into a new leadership role is they still have that solo player mindset where they're like an individual contributor. That's HR speak for like, I just do my job. I don't have to lead a team. But when you get into leadership, you really need to care about other people's success over your own. And that's a big shift. And it's really hard to do. So it's being conscious about that, like you said, and reaching out to the team and say, hey, I've got this idea. It'll make your life easier. And you're consciously thinking of those examples. A lot of the questions that we had were actually from a lot of younger people worried about being a leader and being younger. Carolyn actually asked how to overcome imposter syndrome and how to prevent it. I mean, I shared a lot in our book, Sort Your Career Out, on this imposter syndrome, look, I think you first need to know that everyone experiences it. I don't know if there's actually an answer, but everyone experiences it. And particularly, I would think if you are made a leader, you have that authority to lead and you just have to almost step into it and like, look, learn with me guys or and I don't know, like, do you want to maybe throw me some words here? But if someone was a new leader, I think you mentioned it on your podcast the other day with Shane Hatton, like be okay with telling people, hey, I'm new to this. Can you have grace and help me? I don't know. Totally. There's another question on here from Ashley. It says, I'm the youngest person in my department and in the top position. What's an imposter syndrome tip? So again, it's that thing of... Like you said, Glenn, everyone experiences it. 
I've really started to reframe imposter syndrome as being a good thing for leadership. In fact, I think the best leaders have a sense of imposter syndrome because the reverse, like let's think about when people are new to leadership and they're overly confident and they're like not aware of their weaknesses and they're completely like, I am amazing. I'm the best at this. Those people are the worst people to work for because you're like, you don't know that you're actually (laughs) terrible at this job or that you're just learning. You think you've got it all together and you don't. Whereas people that we like working for are vulnerable. They're aware of their weaknesses. They call them out and they acknowledge that they're learning. And those are the people that we want to work for. And when you have imposter syndrome, you can see yourself in that way of going, I'm learning. I don't have it all together yet. And the emphasis is on the word yet. So like, I'm on a learning journey and I want you to come with me and just call it out and say, hey, like Shane Hatton on that episode you mentioned on My Millennial Career said, I've got my L plates on. Like sometimes we just need to tell people, hey, I know I don't know it all, but I'm going to be learning and I'm committed to getting better every day, just like you expect your team to get better every day. Is there a question where if you are a team member or you're a team leader that you would ask or be asked, how do you like to be led? Totally. Right. Yeah, I think there's a couple of questions. How do you like to be led? How do you like to receive feedback? That's a really good one as a new leader that you can ask. So ask your team, do you like feedback in writing? Do you like, some people like feedback in the moment, whereas other people like space to process it. So I know you are really happy to have difficult conversations in the moment. So I'd be just coming to you going, hey, Glenn, let's talk about this thing. Whereas another team member might be like, hey, James, I want to give you the heads up. We probably need to talk about this issue. When works for you? Can we meet tomorrow? And that way I'm giving that person feedback in the way that they... But you're talking about negative feedback. Yeah, constructive feedback. Yeah, where I'm, I guess, asking broadly, how do you like to be led? Someone might go, oh, treat me like... I'm a naughty boy or uh, (laughs) someone else might be like, just be aspirational. Like, can you slightly tweak your approach to the different personality? Yeah, you totally can. The reason that goes back to knowing your team, right? Knowing the team. I like to get really specific with questions because I think if you say, how do you like to be led? Someone's going to look at you with a blank stare and go, I don't know. How do you like to lead? Like, I think it's too broad. So I'd get, I'd focus on specific areas. So the first one is feedback. The next one is what motivates or drives you? So, Glenn, what I, I'm just going to ask you, what do you think motivates you at work? At the moment, and this podcast it will probably be up after the event, but I'm planning a digital workshop and I just love putting content together to teach people. Is it that you like people to be learning and growing? Yeah, that's what I like. And that's kind of why I like teaching people on the podcast as well because it's just sharing knowledge and encouraging people. And What is it about that that makes you feel good? I think that I've helped someone move the needle in their life. Even though I haven't moved it for them, I've given them the track to do so. And when you felt least energised at work, what's happening? I'm bored, dealing with crap. You're when you feel like you don't have a purpose. Yeah, or being overwhelmed. Yep. Like too many micro decisions that I need to make. And not enough new stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think... As an aside, if you're a new leader, write, go back and listen. Write those questions down. So what energises you? What de-energises you? What are you motivated by? How do you like to receive feedback? What do you want from your career? Mm. Those questions are more specific. Each person will have a totally different story. So your version of that is really different to my version. Mm. And if you know that about the six people on your team, you're going to be a better leader and you can tailor your style to get the best out of that person. But if you don't know that, you're going to use the wrong drivers and you're not going to get the best out of those people. Mm. There's a question here and I don't know if I love the question, but it's from Jay. Any hot tips on motivating Gen Z workers to push a little harder for better results? I don't know. Like there is that thing like young people aren't motivated and all that stuff. I don't know. I reckon the right person in the right role, there is no issues regardless of the age or generation. 
and every generation has said about the upcoming generation, they're lazy. Yeah. And you think that every generation, like boomers sort of said that about Gen X, Gen X said about millennials, and now millennials are saying it about Gen Zs. I, again, this goes back to my answer to this question for Jay would be, you need to know what motivates your team members. And a friend of the podcast, Rob Hicks, he, he talked to me about this previously that there's a great tool called Moving Motivators. And Moving Motivators, it's, it's kind of designed by Dan Pink's book called Drive. You can get that book and read it. It'll really help you in your leadership. It talks about the motivators for people. And not I'm not talking about money or the external motivators. I'm talking about internal motivators. So these things might be relationships. It might be appreciation. Mm. It might be challenge or achievement. But if we know that about our team members, we then go back to, well, how do I make sure that they're getting that in their job? Because for you, I know that we know, we've known each other for ages. I know you like a challenge, Mm. but but let's say me, I like positive reinforcement. Right. Your main motivator is not like positive reinforcement. No. How often would you go to that as a default motivator for people? Almost never. But you love challenges and so you create those in your job. Mm. But if I am motivated by encouragement, I'm going to struggle. So we need to know, again, it goes yeah, back, it goes to, back know, to knowing, knowing who you lead. That's right. And the whole thing, it's like, oh, the Gen Z workers, I bought them a ping pong table and they're still not working. <laughs> nah, wrong. And that's why like every time I do reviews with anyone I've ever led, the first question is always, do you like your job? Because if that's a no, we've got a bigger problem. And how can I help you turn that to a yes, either in the business or in another business? Could we change the question a tiny bit? Yeah. Because I reckon employees might find that hard to answer. Because if I was reporting to you, I might find that, well, what happens if I tell the boss no? Because will will that impact my job? Mm. What if we change it to what would make you like your job more? Yeah. Because a what question opens it up. It's not a yes or no answer. Whereas when it's a yes or no answer, a closed answer, it's a diff- more difficult conversation to have. That, oh, I just want, the, I want a yes or no. <laughs> of course you I did. I did one year rate your job satisfaction out of 10. And how did, was that better? Oh, yeah. There, and there was one that was lower than what I would expect and we worked through the issues and, yeah. and all that. So. And I think that this is why I go to uh, get good at asking questions because – what questions open a conversation, but closed questions make it difficult for people to respond, especially when there's a power dynamic. Because when you're the boss, people are less likely to be honest with you because they fear they may fear it's going to impact their job ongoing. So we need to create safe conversations. And the way we do that is we get really good at asking great questions. Well, there you go. Another question here. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. All right, next question, Bailey. I would love to know how to step into leadership without prior experience. So a new leadership role without experience. Okay. Actually, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What do you, like you've run multiple businesses, you've had employees for a long time. What behaviours do you need to see to promote someone? Forward thinking, active thinking, initiative. Initiative. Drive. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon initiative. Happen to life. Don't let life happen to you. There you go. Write that down. (laughs) I think initiative and ownership are huge. If you want to lead a team, you need to show ownership. You need to act like you've got the job before you've got the job. Yeah. Because you can show ownership and initiative without any experience. You can turn up tomorrow, walk in, you could be the doormat and show initiative and you'd get promoted to inside the door, not outside. <laughs> Good, Rick. I love that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so take that away. I think initiative is massive, being active and having a growth mindset. Like mm. one of the big things that sets people up to get a promotion are people who are willing to go the extra mile and they're willing to – and they respond well to feedback – I think if you respond well and you seek out, you really are proactive about getting feedback from your boss or your manager, you're more likely to make a good leader because leaders have to get feedback all the time because they've got all these people who 
want to tell them how to improve or like that they need to kind of care about their success. So a couple of things around ownership, initiative and having a growth mindset to me like crucial and you can show those without having a job title that has manager in it. Yeah. Without those things though, you're going to struggle. The other thing I would encourage Bailey to do is to talk to leaders within the business she's working in and find out what does it take to lead well in this environment? Because leadership can look different in different environments. So in one business, they might value a certain thing, maybe safety. If you're working in a high risk industry, safety might be the most important thing versus versus if you're working in a tech company, innovation and being able to think outside the box might be the number one priority. So I want you to understand what is it that leaders need in this environment that's unique to where I'm working. And then I want you to have a conversation with your boss about how can I get to that? What can we do together to help me get to that position? Yeah, I've said for years, and it probably I'll tweak the statement a little bit. Like I've said for years, if you hang around long enough at a place, you'll end up running it. Now, I'll probably caveat that with if you hang around long enough and you're ambitious, you're loyal, and you're a go-getter, and you're not taking the piss, the, you will rise to the top. The wheat will be separated from the chaff. <laughs> you're just pulling all of these one-liners out. <laughs> I think as well, like, look to make people's lives easier. Yeah. Like, if you can make people's lives easier, make people's work situation easier, and set other people up to win, you stand out from every other person that's just looking out for themselves. As a junior employee, when I was like in my early 20s, you know, I just had the mindset that, yes, that's my job. It might have been client services in a financial planning office. And literally my mindset was, I'm here all day. You're paying me. You own my soul. I'll do anything. Don't actually care. It's like, you want me to do something that isn't my job? Like, oh, we need all these things shredded and like nothing was below me. Like, well, all right, fine. If you want to do that, it's probably not the best use of your money when you can get someone that you're paying less to do that type of role, but I'll do whatever. I don't actually care. And I think that's the the other big thing, Glenn. It's like lose the ego. Yeah. Like if you lose the ego and go, you know what? No, like there isn't anything that's beneath me. Like I was talking to a, uh, one of the businesses I work with, a client the other day, and one of their new employees refused to go and do a coffee run because they were like, that's beneath me. That's a job for an intern. And I was just like, actually, you know what? I've seen CEOs of $500 million plus businesses go and run, do a coffee run for their staff because they care about their staff having coffee. Like why do you need to, why are you above that? Like just just make other people's lives better. Maybe, I don't want to psychoanalyze because I'm crap at it, but like you just wonder when those, with those types of people, have they had a bad experience in a junior role getting treated like crap? Yeah, and maybe. And, and that's the thing. It's like I'm just of, a, I'm of the view that everyone deserves the dignity as a human. Yeah. And if you're doing a job that's quote-unquote lesser – it doesn't mean you're a lesser person. Yes. And I think you're right. Like there may have been context around why that person didn't want to, but I think it goes to one of my big pet peeves when it comes to employees. And I have been in HR for the last 10 years. I've seen so many employees do this. Ego, ego problems on teams is just so bad. It's the worst. It is really destructive. So if you feel like if you're projecting a sense of entitlement and ego at work, that's going to stop you in your career. It's going to hold you back. But if you look at tasks that you do as a service to someone and you're like, I'm doing this in service of something bigger than myself, it's going to land better. But also like if you're a team member and you're too good to do something in the team, well, shut up, go start your own business and go do it yourself. (laughs) Like, at the end of the day, a business is paying for labor. They're paying you to do a job. If you don't like it, get another job, change your career track, or prove that you can do it better yourself. Go on, piss off. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it, once you start a business, how much you realize some of the stuff that you used to whinge about was actually a luxury? Mm. 
I've realised that now. Yeah. I'm only but. early in to the business days. Anyway, we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Radio, we are back. And this episode, it is also brought to you by our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. A bloody good book. It's a great book. Written by two great people. Two legends. <laughs> Speaking of ego. <laughs> Speaking of ego. <laughs> Let's get into some juicy stuff. And there's a link in the show notes if you want our career book. I actually talk a lot in there about risk-taking and negotiation, which is kind of cool. But Shell touches on the bedrock of your values. Because if you're doing something that isn't aligned with your values, guess what? You'll hate life, you'll be unhappy, and you'll think everyone's the problem. But it's just a misalignment with you, who you are as a person, and your values. All right, let's let's do something a bit wild. Carly, tips for fully embracing a temporary leadership role, such as maternity leave cover. Yeah, this is good. This is a good question because I think when people are doing a temp cover, so for a parental leave role, you often feel like you can't fully own it. My advice to Carly and anyone in a temporary role is go all in. Show up as if you've like if you want to get that job ongoing or let's say you want to eventually progress into that as a permanent role, go all in. Show, like, I think we do this thing, Glenn. I'm, I've seen it in so many, I've seen so many examples of this. We hold back because we've got this fear of if I show up in my fullness in this role and then I don't get it on a permanent basis, what does that mean? And does that mean I'm not good enough? So then we like play maybe 60% in the role rather than being fully self-expressed. And update your LinkedIn during that period as well. Yeah. Team leader. Totally. Temporary team leader. Cover. Yeah, that's Cover right. team leader. What would you call it? What I would just say you're, you're being a team leader. Go all in. And okay, yeah, you might only do it for 12 months. If it's parental leave cover and the person comes back, then it's still a good experience. And I want you to show your best self in that. I don't want you to like half-ass it because you're afraid of failing or you're afraid that if you do that temporary cover, you don't land it in a permanent capacity. What does that mean about you? And I would probably say lean as well on your direct report to say, hey, what tips have you got? Or, hey, this happened in the business. Like, it was this the right way to handle this? Because at least if you take your direct report along the ride with you, you're not going to be alone and they're not going to turn around and go, why did you lead it this way for three months? Yeah, and, and I think you need to make decisions in the role as if you are in there in the long-term capacity. But I think you're right. Get the, your manager's input going, here's what I would recommend we do. Are you comfortable with that direction based on the history that maybe you don't have? But I guess my advice to Carly would be own it. Own the role. Go all in. And yeah, okay, the person's probably going to come back and that'll change your dynamic. But if you go all in, you'll get a better experience. You'll get a better kind of taste of what that leadership role is like. And you'll be more likely to get a future promotion because of how you showed up in that temporary capacity. 
Mm. Pendle is their name on Instagram. How do you work around a micromanager who struggles to let others take the lead? Yes, this is something that I know lots of listeners will relate to. Micromanagement is annoying. It is annoying, but we also need to empathise with our manager because sometimes, this is the cycle I see on the flip side, sometimes what happens when your manager is micromanaging, when your manager is micromanaging, sometimes it's because trust on the team has been broken. So I'm not advocating for this behaviour at all, but I'm just trying to give people a different perspective. Let's say trust is broken because team members have consistently not delivered. Then that manager feels like they need to get in the detail and stay in the detail. And what that does for everyone, it becomes this vicious cycle where everyone feels like, oh my gosh, I can't do my job because my manager keeps getting into the detail and on and on it goes. What we need to do is we need to break the cycle. So the way that we do it is we get really proactive. We need to understand what does that manager care about? So the questions that they ask us or the detail that they're interested in point to what they care about. If they care about project deadlines, which most managers do, and you've failed to deliver on a project deadline, then next time they're going to want to know well in advance where things are up to. Now, your job is to get ahead of the curve. So I want you to get proactive and give them updates before things have taken place so they know if something's going to blow out because of an unforeseen thing, they know well before that timeline runs out. And you can work out, do they like that communication via email? Do they like it via Teams? How do they want to be communicated with about this stuff? And what are the things that they want you to jump on the phone and call them about if there's something urgent? Or what are the things that they want just on Slack? But if you haven't done that and gotten proactive, you're not going to be able to break that micromanagement cycle. And the biggest way we can do it is by just getting clear with what our manager cares about and then communicating with them in a way that they like to receive. And so it's kind of the reverse of what we were talking about before. We can ask those questions of our manager to understand what makes them tick and then we can lessen that micromanagement over time. We touched on it before, but there's a question here, tricks to leadership when you were much younger than people that you're leading. While you have a bit of a think of that, I reckon the first thing that you should always I guess not do is make your ego stand out that you are better than someone that's older than you, just on a human level. Remember, everyone's the same. Everyone deserves the same amount of dignity. So I don't think you'd ever, I don't know, make it be known that I'm so successful. Look how young I am and you're older, like that subconscious type stuff. So I'll just try front of mind treat everyone as a person in a position, not a person that has an age. Yeah, I think that's that's massive. The other thing I would say is you don't need to know it all Mm. and acknowledge what you don't know. And you can lean on some of the wisdom. Yeah, that's right. You can can invite people to contribute based on their skill set, based on their experience. And I'd be upfront when you start, I started my first real HR manager gig and it was quite a senior role when I was 24 and I was leading a team who were all older than me and I was, I would say I was quite immature, <laughs> but I didn't know that. Now I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was like embarrassing some of the things that I did. But if I had my time over again, my first one-on-one meetings with my team member, there would have been a few things that I did. Number one, I would be saying to them, hey, I know you've got heaps of experience here I'd really love to lean on you in this capacity to get that goal that you know out into this team. Yeah, and the whole thing is like you're a team leader. It doesn't mean you're a dictator. Like it's a team. That's right. And your job is to get the best out of people. You're part of the team still. That's right. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would have said, I would have been a bit more vulnerable because I think vulnerability does this weird thing where we think it, exposes our weaknesses, but it actually helps people to trust us more. Mm, so it's the humanity into it. That's right. It's a paradox. So we feel like we have to project confidence, but when we have confidence without competence, which is often what we have when we're younger, confidence mm. without competence. It can come off. Yeah. But, and also, you know, I get a lot of, you know, bad reviews and all that, which is fine, whatever. But I think sometimes 
confidence and arrogance can be confused. Yeah. Because I'm quite confident. I'd like to think so, but some people might sense that as arrogant. I think I think can inflated ego and arrogance are often associated with, to me, a lack of confidence or a lack of self-awareness. Mm. When you're self-aware and you also know what you're good at, that to me is confidence. And when we're young and we're in a role that maybe we feel a little bit out of our depth in, I think our knee-jerk reaction, Glenn, is to project confidence artificially. So it's that whole fake it till you make it. And I, I personally don't like that as an expression. I think that causes heaps of problems on teams. Instead, I would, I would just be upfront and say, hey, I'm going to be learning this new role with you. We're all going to be on this like weird journey together. But my goal is that we work the best together as a team. And that means that I'm going to be getting input from everyone to make sure that this team environment is the best. And you can run a team workshop with your people to set expectations of how you behave, how you show up, what do you want to be known for as a team. And when you do that, you're getting that input from each of your team members. They're going to be more engaged and, in, and feel more included. Question, what is a 360 review? Because I've actually heard it thrown around. Like how does it actually work? So a 360 review, I was running one of these uh, this week actually for a leader. It's essentially reviews – a three, 360 degree review. So you Just get full circle. Full circle. So you get feedback from. I know that from my navigation modules. With I, charting I know, and, I can see all boating. you. You're, you're, how are you acknowledging your vulnerability when it comes to boating and learning? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> I, so 360 review is getting feedback from the people that report to you, so your team, from your manager. So the person who's above you and from your peers. So the pers- people that are sideways. If you think about an org chart, it's like mm. everyone on the org chart, you might pick like eight people to contribute. They give you, generally it's anonymous, feedback about how you go as a leader on a range of things. Ugh, sounds wild. It can be wild. It's kind of like I did one once and I, I definitely cried. I was like, this is confronting. <laughs> you did one as in you received one. Yeah, I was a, I, I got feedback from a range of peers, my direct reports and my boss. Gosh. And I think it was a really good learning moment because it exp- exposes your blind spots, the things you don't know that you're not good at. And for me, like there was a range of things. It was like being abrupt talking too much, which is like probably what I'm doing right now. Mm. But if you don't do that, if you don't open yourself up to feedback, yeah, I think every every leader can benefit from a 360. Yeah, and like when we do the podcast census, I always go give us all your comments, good and bad. And, you, I, and I think like with feedback, you've just got to look for trends because if one person says you're an arrogant asshole or oh, he's such a bitch like or whatever <laughs> – Sure, might be true, but if every second person is saying that, we've got a problem, people. That's right. The patterns and trends. Yeah, you just got to look for the trends and patterns. And I think you've got to get people to contribute that are going to be honest and open with you. Yeah, without malice. Without malice. Mm. Yeah, they have to have your genuine interest, like want you to grow. But I mean, I think every leader should do that process and they should do it regularly. Rowan Dredge, I know he's come on your podcast, he's come on ours. Rowan Dredge, who's been on both the podcasts before, says as a leader, you need to know what it's like to be on the other side of you. Yeah. And I don't think many leaders know that about themselves. It would be horrendous to be led by me because I'm so erratic, but I'm, I'm trying not to be. The other thing I'm just thinking about is your own belief system about yourself as a leader. I feel like you, sometimes you self-talk as a leader, if it's really consistently negative, that's probably something to be aware of. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, honestly, I think I would be horrendous to work for. I think you're your own worst critic. Yeah, right. Well, so. let's move on. Um, <laughs> you can decide if you want to edit that out no, later. I don't care, whatever. Um, there's another one here, how to have tough conversations with members in your team. Yeah, massive. How do you, how do you like to do this? With great difficulty. <laughs> It's very difficult, yes. Tough conversations. This is 
leaders need to master the art of tough conversations. And I think it's art and I think it's science. But the thing that you said before, Glenn, about patterns and trends, whenever you're giving feedback, you need to focus on the pattern of behaviour. So like how do you distill for that person? What do you think the trend is that you're seeing? So let's say your team member consistently misses deadlines. So the the pattern of behaviour is maybe a lack of attention to detail. And so that lack of attention to detail, what does that mean? So the pattern is inattention to detail. The example was they missed that project deadline. What is the impact of that? Then you need to tell them what, how does that behaviour impact the team? Well, what that means is that we lost money because we didn't launch that product in time or we, by forgetting to do that, the customer didn't get there, what they, we said we'd send them by the due date. And what does that mean? Well, then that means that they jump on Google, they give us a bad rating. Well, what does that mean? And so you need to paint the picture of the impact of the behaviour. And then at the end of that conversation, you, you use your coaching questions. So what are your thoughts on this? Or what do you think we need to do differently going forward? What things are you going to change to see a different outcome next time? And then we walk through that process. So the process is your core concern, the example and the impact. That's how I frame up any difficult conversation. I walk through that every single time. How do you negotiate disciplinary actions? Say more. Tell me more. Like they've done something and hugely violated your trust as a leader or hugely dropped the ball and you had to discipline? Yeah, so I guess you, <laughs> you have a few options. I'm laughing because discipline is, is such a hard call. spank in the workplace? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so you have a few things up your sleeve. You could People use performance improvement plans. People use written warnings. I think that when something is really serious, you need to communicate the seriousness. So you have to alert that person to, hey, this is not trivial. This is a major problem. And the way that you communicate something's a major problem is they need to, again, like I just said before, they need to understand the impact. So I think some of those conversations where you're talking about written warnings, potentially terminating someone's employment, they're the toughest things that you have to do as a leader. Hopefully they're not very frequent. If you've set up expectations well in the beginning, they shouldn't be that frequent. But the nature of being a leader is you're going to have them from time to time. Could you ever say like, ask the person, like, is there any reason why I shouldn't issue a written warning in this instance? Because this is very serious and I'd love to know if there are any reasons why I shouldn't. Yeah, you can totally ask that. That's a good question. Or you could ask hey, this situation is really serious. My thinking is that this warrants a written warning. Talk to me about your take on this. And they could say, look, I didn't want to say, but there was a death in the family and I dropped the ball. I was embarrassed by or whatever. I don't know. Like they could just bring up something that you aren't seeing. That's right. And you have to have space for that. So Mm. There's a process in, and everyone's going to roll their eyes, but like Australian employment law called procedural fairness where you have to invite the person to give you reasons why maybe that thing happened. And you need to genuinely hear them. So do that process of asking them for what happened and genuinely listen to their response and then use that to make your decision about what action you take. Mm, Very, very good. Last question. Let's talk about toxicity. (laughs) Great way to end. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you know if the leadership that you're working under has turned toxic? Yeah, there's a number of signs. I, these are so funny, Glenn. Like we have such a fun... When they walk in the room, Britney Spears plays. Just automatically. to shave their head. <laughs> yeah. No, the song Toxic. Yeah, I know. I got yeah, it. Okay. But I was also thinking that yeah, that okay. happening at the same time. Right. But yeah, sure. <laughs> when they put their feet on the desk like you are right now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few signs, but the thing that bothers me about toxicity, we talk so much about what does a toxic workplace look like. To me, if a workplace is toxic, it's like dead in the water. Like toxicity is poisonous and it's like dying a slow death. We need to know the earlier warning signs. We need to know things that happen before something gets toxic. Because usually something's toxic, it needs to be amputated. That's right. Like, 
And it's very difficult and takes a long time for organisations, if they're fully toxic across the board, it takes a very long time for that to change and it needs the full commitment of the executive or senior leadership team. If you don't have that, it's very unlikely it's going to change. Okay, so let's just go through maybe five examples of what is a like a good sign of a workplace and then the opposite of that. Yeah, so a healthy sign would be that people care equally about results and relationships. So we're committed to getting the job done and we care about people. The flip side of that is that we care only about results at expense of everything else. So we're willing to steamroll over people to get to an outcome, which to me is quite toxic. The other example is in a healthy organisation, we would see a level of energy So there's drive, there's ambition, there's energy, there's goals. In an unhealthy organisation, we see apathy. Like Mm. people just don't care. Like people are like, I just show up. This is kind of like me at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) My life is toxic, guys. (laughs) And I think apathy is an early warning sign Mm. of toxicity. So it's I just don't care, I don't care about the mission, don't care about doing the job, I'll do the bare minimum to scrape by. And we're saying that's toxic because if a new person joins the team, they can be infected by that from day one. Yeah. And that means that toxic organ is growing negatively. Yeah. It's contagious. Yeah. And a couple of other signs, I think when we have really, we've talked about ego on this episode, when there's really big egos that they might get good results, but they treat everyone like crap. That is a sign that you've got some big problems. There's a couple of other signs. MIT Sloan did this research. Some of the behaviours they say are disrespect. It's unethical. It's cutthroat. Any of those behaviours, they're really red, red, red flags. Like if you've got an organisation that doesn't value people for just being like just that people are inherently value, valuable and see people as only a means to an end, you probably need to get out of there. Mm. If we go back to what's healthy, to end on a positive, healthy organisations have a level of safety. I'm not talking about they're cushy and they're relaxed. I'm talking about it's safe to speak up and have different opinions. It's safe to have difficult conversations. Healthy organisations also have accountability they hold people accountable for their behaviour, which people say they want, but when you're the one being held accountable for poor behaviour, it feels uncomfortable. But when we hold people accountable, we build trust. And that probably brings us to the last one. Healthy organisations have a sense of trust. So we trust each other. We, we believe the best about people and we trust each other to fulfil our parts of our job. And I think as a team as well, like you're not throwing people under buses, there's no corporate gaslighting, any of that yuck stuff. Totally. Yeah. And it's that looking after people with the humanity that they deserve. Yeah. And that, yeah, we all are entitled to. That's right. Yeah. And one other thing is staff turnover. Oh, good one. Because if there's new people in every week and people leaving every week. Why are people not hanging around here? Yes. Yeah, it's such a good indicator. And it's funny because I know a business and they are very, it's a big business and very traditional and they really struggle with this work, flexible work, work from home and all that. They're like a nine to five bums on steeds and it's got a high turnover of staff and... You kind of, if you kind of peel back the onion, it's like it goes back to that core leadership thing. Yeah. It might be lack of trust, might be not leading, you know, it's not 1920 anymore. Like, <laughs> believe it or not, the internet exists. What do you think about? Because that's such a divisive thing at the moment, the return to the office or work remotely. Look, I, I think it's just whatever works. It really is. I'm okay if a business says you've got to be at least two days in the office, three days or whatever. I, I don't know. I just, I think it's really hard to to have a blanket call. Yes. But, you know, Zoom went back, ironically. But it just shows you that there is power with being together. 
yeah, in person. In person. I think right. you need to have a purpose, a clear purpose about we don't just want you in here so that we can see you and watch you. That's right. But we yeah. want you in here and we're going to set up. So we up. can collaborate, so we can continue to build culture. But make sure you do things, activities that cause people to collaborate, not just be like, come into the office but sit on Zoom meetings yeah. for like seven uh, hours. Yeah, so I don't know. I It's just so nuanced and all I would say is if you have the occupation that you can work from home, so you're not a registered nurse, I mean there probably are things that you could do online like helplines or whatever, but like if you're a computer-based white-collar role – and you could actually work from home, here's a tip. Don't get a job somewhere that doesn't allow that flexibility. Wild, right? Wild. And I think for anyone who wants to lead teams who work flexibly, your biggest thing is set expectations. Like mm. if you set clear goals, you don't need to see someone to know whether they've been done or not. Like yeah, the, exactly. Their work is in the outcome. Yeah. Yep. So I think everything comes down to expectation management and alignment if you are leading someone and do you bring your team on that journey as a team I'm leading this team leader is another word for facilitator like hey I'm team leader I'm team facilitator how can we all lead together well and I'll just bring it all together yeah love it but we'll end with this here at Simo Interactive we're all equal but I'm just a little bit more equal Thanks, Shelly, and I'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.